Well, we're certainly thankful for your presence this morning. We have a nice crowd with us today, and we're certainly happy for that. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. We are, as Sean mentioned in the announcements, this is the first week of our new quarter, and so we have new teachers, and I'm sure that our old ones are happy to have the break. If they're taking a break, I know some of you are continuing on, but we're glad to start new classes this week. Uh, but if you're on our Wednesday night class, then you know we're still in the book of Revelation. Uh, and I plan on finishing that study by the end of this month. There's four Wednesday nights left this week uh, and then all the way to the end of the month. I think four classes left, and I should, should be able to finish the book by the end of this month, which means we're going to be finishing a book right in the middle of a quarter. So as we've said before, in case you haven't heard what, already what the plan is, uh, what we're going to be doing in the month of April and May, the last two months of this new quarter, we're going to be having questions and answers. Uh, time. Your questions and answers. Well, my answers, the best of my ability, but your questions for sure. So if you go out the foyer in these middle doors, there's a little uh, table and a little clear box that says Q&A on it. If you have any kind of a Bible question, if you have any kind of a Bible concern, if you have any thought that you just simply don't understand, doesn't have to start with a what, a why, or a how. It could simply be an explain this verse or explain this idea. Any kind of idea that you've had about the Bible that just has nagged you, that you haven't quite gotten a good explanation for, whatever it may be, by all means, write it down and put it in the box. I looked uh, two, three days ago, I, I, I opened it up and I looked and saw how many questions we had. Some questions were really great, so I'm really excited about that. But I think there's enough for two, maybe three classes. So we have eight classes I'm planning, assuming it's April and May, eight classes for that. So by all means, submit more questions. Uh, don't think about, well, this question doesn't matter. He'll never get to it. I hope to have more questions than I could possibly get to. I'll, always, I'll find some way to answer them in some other venue. But I want more, not less. You'd hate to have one class left and I have one question left. That's, that's no fun. So by all means, submit it. It'll be anonymous. I'm not going to say, can you believe this question that Bill asked and then read the question? I'm not going to do that. It'll be totally anonymous. Uh, as I say in the Pew Bulletin, and I tell my children all the time, there are no stupid questions, only stupid people who ask them. So write down whatever the question may be, whatever concern or thought you may have, write it down, put it in the box, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. We'll, um, we'll answer those questions. Now, with that being said, what we're doing with the sermon this morning is sort of in that same vein. You can consider this kind of a teaser, if you will, to that kind of an idea. Uh, what we're going to be doing with the sermon this morning is answering three Bible questions. But let me say that again. We're going to be answering three Bible questions. In other words, these are not necessarily three commonly asked questions that people have from the Bible. This is not, you know, what does it mean when God said this? Or, or why is it like this? And why didn't God do it that way? Those are great questions and we'll consider some of them in the class to come. But these are three questions that people have and frequently ask that relate to the book itself. Now I hope all of you brought a Bible this morning. That should go without saying. But whether it is your leather-bound version or your hardback version, a physical copy in front of you, or if you have the Bible on your phone, it really makes no difference because it's just simply another way of getting the Word of God into people's hands. So I hope that you have it open or open, if it's an app or a book, in front of you so that we can uh, go through this. But not just for that reason. I want you to have this book in your hand, whether it's an actual physical book or in the digital form. I want you to hold it and appreciate it while we go through this because what you hold in your hand is the greatest thing that has ever been produced. It is the ultimate. 
And we should appreciate it. We should respect it. As much as we need to dig into it and pull out from it all that God has put in it, every now and then it's important to pause and just reflect on the fact that we have in our possession the mind of God given to man. And that we can read it and understand it and know what God has in store for us, what God has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we have Wednesday night Bible classes. That's why you pull it off your shelf and read it at home. That's why we open our Word of God to know what God says. And in the process of doing that, naturally questions are going to arise. And as we, as God's people, go to our friends and go to our neighbors, which that's our theme for this year, because we love our neighbors, we will talk to them about the Bible, invariably our neighbors are going to have questions. And they're not just going to have the kind of questions that we're going to get in the class, but they're going to have questions about the book that you're reading to them, that you're teaching them, that you're using to help convert them. They're going to ask you, well, how do you know that book is the book? Or how do you know that is what that says? Or how do I know that I can trust that book? Those kinds of questions that our neighbors, and let's be honest with ourselves from time to time ourselves, those are the questions that have been asked and that deserve an answer. So what we're going to do with our sermon this morning is just consider three and answer three Bible questions. Now, if we wanted to, we could go really deep and we could, we could be here for two hours and no one would eat and it would be just, you'd be frustrated and you'd stone me and it, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep it basic. We're going to keep it simple, as simple as one possibly can with some of these answers. But we're going to simply answer the questions to the best of our ability and recognize how fundamental and important that they are. All right, simple sermon, just three questions, three answers. Question number one, where did we get the Bible? This question may come up as you open the Bible and talk to someone about it. They may say, stop, wait, before you read to me that verse from Romans, before you read to me that text from Luke, before you tell me what John said or what Paul wrote, where did this come from in the first place that from this you derive your authority? Who are you to tell me what I need to do with my life or that what I should stop doing with my life based on what this book says? Where did this come from in the first place? So let's answer that question. I said it a second ago. I hope you have it with you. You have your Bibles with you. Mine is wrapped in duct tape because it's, it's old and it's falling apart. And I love this Bible. It's my little pocket testament. But your Bible may not be wrapped in duct tape. But you probably have it with you. You probably have it open. It probably has two rows, two columns of verses on either page. All those kinds of crazy things. There's a whole big long story about that we're not going to get into. But you have it there open and you can flip through and you can find everything from Genesis to Revelation, from generations to revolutions. You can read all that God has said. But let's just zoom out for a second. Away from the Word itself. And just consider the book that you're holding. The book that you're holding. Where did this book come from? Answer, the bookstore is probably where it came from. But the bookstore didn't create the Bible. The, so where did it come from? Well, then you can turn to page one of your Bible, and you can see it was this, this one is Thomas Nelson Publishers, Nashville, Tennessee. And the copyright is 2003, all right, or 2001. So, but Thomas Nelson Publishing, or Thomas Nelson himself, if there even is such a person, did not write the Bible. He typed the Bible. He distributed the Bible. He copied and pasted the Bible. So we must zoom out. We must back up further in the chronology. Now what I'm holding is a pocket King James, the old King James New Testament. And it's not even really the technical old King James because we couldn't even read that. It would sound like, well, it would sound like someone in the 1500s with all kinds of words and spellings that we don't use anymore. So it's a revised, revised, revised version of the old King James text from 1611. So we've got 
in my hands the King James. But what's in your hands? If I polled, and I won't, most of you probably aren't using the old King James. Many of you probably are using a New American Standard or an English Standard or an NIV or an ESV, or I said that one already, or the Contemporary English Version, the CEV, or the Good News Translation. There are countless Bibles out there, countless translations of the Bible out there. And they all offer slightly different variations on various texts. I'm going to read to you in just a second, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's going to sound different from the reading we had just a minute ago, which was great, by the way, whether you forgot the word works or not, doesn't matter. So we're, we're all going to read it, and it's going to come out differently. It's why when I teach in my Bible classes, I sometimes have to stop and say, now what does your Bible say here? Because I know that your translation is going to be different, not just from mine, but from other people's too. So we need to appreciate the fact that what we're reading is a translation of a text that has been copied and printed and distributed by people, sold in bookstores to us, so that we can have access to the Word of God. But already, with certain people, there are seeds of doubt being sown there. Because I'm talking about things being done by men, not by God. Men printed this book. Men bound it in leather. Man wrapped it in duct tape. People did things to this text. So how can I know this is the Word of God? So I need to back up. We need to go further back. Almost every translation that you're going to pick up at the bookstore is going to be derived from one of two major sources of manuscripts. And I'm going to keep this real simple so we don't go too inside baseball with it because there's just no need to go that complex. But the basic gist of it is this. The, the, the Bible that we have that we use comes from a collection of manuscript fragments and manuscript pieces and even big manuscript chunks. Some it's just small as one or two lines. Some it's as big as a book and a half. We have these big chunks of text that have been collected and compiled over the years. And two major compilations of these texts are, are predominantly used. There's more, but the big ones are the Textus Receptus and the Textus Sinaiticus. Those are Latin words. The one means Textus, the received text, and the other one means the Sinai text. So-called because it was found in a monastery at the foot of the supposed Mount Sinai. So you have these two collections of manuscripts. One is the received collection of manuscripts. They call it that because they said, look, it's the Word of God. It's received from God. The received text. And the other one is, look, we found it at Sinai. It's the Sinai text. And there are variations and slight discrepancies and little differences here, which is why a lot of our translations vary at certain places. But that's zooming back up enough to see, look, these, these, um, these scholars and these archaeologists and these monks and these people who found and collected and compiled and put together like pieces in a puzzle and compiled together the, the fragments of manuscripts that were distributed to become the Word of God came from one of these two major sources, Textus Receptus, Textus Sinaiticus. But the Word of God was not written in a monastery at the foot of Mount Sinai. The Word of God was not compiled by King James or whoever was his predecessor. The Word of God did not come from the men who compiled those manuscripts together, bound them, and distributed them. But people will tell you that. They will say that this book that you hold so dear is simply the product of men. That men found the manuscripts, that men compiled the manuscripts, that men bound them in leather, that men sold them in stores, and that men preach and interpret from. People, I mean. So from those... From those facts of history, seeds of doubt pop in. But to understand truth, you have to back up even further. Go back beyond the manuscripts. Because those manuscript fragments that they found in the monastery at Sinai, which became the text of Sinaiticus, from which we derive translations you see behind me, American Standard, New American Standard, English Standard. Those, those manuscript fragments that were found at the foot of Sinai, 
they were not original copies. They didn't suddenly dis dis discover Paul's writing of Romans with Paul's handwriting. They didn't discover Moses' writing of Genesis. What they found were copies of copies of copies that had been collected and passed down through the years and then were compiled, bound, and distributed. So they found writings, copies, written by men. So we must back up even further. So you've got a Bible that has been published by men. You've got a Bible that's been compiled by men. You've got a Bible that's been um, arranged and, and sourced and put together by men. So back up even further. Because Thomas Nelson didn't write the Bible. He just helped us put it in our hands. That archaeologist that discovered the monks burning the fragments of Scripture at the uh, Sinai Monastery without even knowing what they were burning, who made the discovery of the millennium when he found the text of Sinaiticus, he didn't write the Bible. Those monks didn't write the Bible either. Who wrote the Bible? Who gave us the Word of God that has been translated for us? Who gave us the Word of God that has been compiled for us? Who gave us the Word of God that we get to read when we open our books? All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And because it is given by God, not man, it is profitable for doctrine. It tells you what is right. For reproof, it tells you when you're not right. For correction, it tells you how to get right. For instruction in righteousness, it tells you how to stay right so that you, the man of God, the person of God, can be equipped, furnished, throughly, through and through, entirely equipped to do every good work. Right? Now, your Bible might not read it that way. Your Bible might say, as his did, all God-breathed Scripture came from whatever. Or it might say all Scripture is God-breathed and came from God. Well, it's because it takes and literalizes the inspiration word into God breathe. That's what the word means. But you see there we have variations of text, variations in the translation. How do I take this foreign language word and put it into English? Well, you can call it inspiration or you can call it God breathe. You're going to convey the same idea. The word that you read, not the printed black, white, and red text, but the word that it is, the ideas contained in those words, that came from the mind of God. Simply copied and translated and distributed to man. Where did the Bible come from? Well, it came from the bookstore in Circe. Thanks for asking. No. Where did the Word of God come from? It came from God. Look at the opening of that verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What kind of inspiration gave us the Word of God? See, William Shakespeare was inspired. There's nothing wrong with saying that. William Shakespeare was an inspired playwright. What inspired the writing of Richard III? Which, it's been on my mind all week because Sean wrote that devil earlier this week, or last week. What inspired the writing of Richard III? The political turmoil and drama and chaos of his day. Well, he wasn't going to write about his king and queen, so he wrote about one in the past and told a story as a parable, as an analogy. He was inspired by present events to write about the past. He was inspired. Anybody who's ever written anything as a parable or as an analogy or anything like that is inspired by something. There's nothing wrong with that. That's worldly inspiration. But Paul, who wrote Romans, was not just inspired by present events to write something. Paul, who wrote Galatians and Ephesians and Matthew, who wrote Matthew and John, who wrote John and Revelation, were not inspired just by present events. They were inspired by something divine. They were inspired by God Himself. How much of it is inspired? How much of this book? Is it just bits and pieces? Moments of inspiration that came and went? No. All Scripture came by the inspiration of God. And is it, is it every idea of Scripture? 
or is it the actual things that they said? All Scripture. You see, the inspiration of the Bible is verbal, plenary, divine. All plenary, whole, complete, all of it, every bit of it. From, from Genesis to Revelation. I know I only have Matthew to the end, but can't fit that all in my pocket. The whole of your Bible is all inspired. There's not a book that should be left out. All Scripture, every word that was written down is inspired of God. When Paul wrote, Paul put every word of inspiration down. God didn't just give him the gist of it and say, now write it however you want. No, God wrote it however He wanted. He just went inside Paul's mind and opened up Paul's vocabulary and picked from Paul's mind the words that God wanted to use. And so God put Paul's words on the paper. That's why Paul's writings read differently from Peter's. Paul is very punctual. He's very lawyerly. He's very bullet point. Here's the gist. Whereas Peter is more chasing rabbits, getting distracted, and meandering around in his writing. It's why when you read Genesis through Deuteronomy, it has a cohesive sound to it. It reads like Moses' writing. It's got that paleo-Hebrew kind of feel to it from a scholarly person educated in Egypt. But then you go over one more book, Joshua. It's written by a, a soldier. It has a totally different vibe. Though it's chronology, it's right there with it. Different Bible books have different feels because they're written by different authors. But the ultimate source of it is God who goes into the mind of the writer to pluck out the words that he wants them to say. Every word he wants them to say. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Where did we get this book? Well, it's a very long process, but it dates back to God. Listen to what David said. 2 Samuel 23, 2. He said, The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. The King James says, by me? Yeah, but it's, the idea is through me. And His Word, that's what I'm writing, was in my language, in my word choice, in my vocabulary. King James says tongue. Not the muscle, not the thing in your mouth, but the words He uses. In other words, David is, is telling you what the inspiration process is like. He says, I put my pen on the paper, and God moved through my mind to my hand to write down the words that I would use to convey His words and ideas. That's inspiration. In spirit, shun. The Spirit is in me and moving through me. David is just the filter between God and the written Word. Where did the Bible come from? It came from God. Question two. Can we trust the Bible? Because, yeah, okay, I get it. You, you read to me 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. And that sounds all well and good when you tell me that it came from God. But, you know, you said a minute ago... Matthew, you said a minute ago that we have copies of copies of copies of manuscript fragments and pieces that have all been kind of compiled together and then bound in leather and sold by some, some guy in California or some guy in Nashville or whatever this bookstore is. So what well, is a lot of steps along the way that could have made this thing you know, lose its meaning? There's a lot of possibilities along the path where the Bible not, might not be saying what was originally written. And that's a common criticism about the Bible. That's a seed of doubt that's planted. How can I trust this book? that is the product of so many steps, many of which involved non-divine hands, uninspired hands. How can I trust this book? Here's an illustration that you'll hear sometimes. I hope you can see it clearly enough. What you have here are six images going from uh, left down, top to bottom, left to right. On the top left image is the, the original basic picture. It's up like a, a, you know, it looks like a back alley of a city. A couple of buildings, some street lights, that kind of thing. Just a simple basic image. And then the one directly under that, that image has been copied 100 times. Now what that means is they took the picture, they made a copy, they took the copy and made another copy. That's two. Took that copy and made another copy 
of the third one. They took that copy and made a copy. They took that copy and made a copy. And so you get image degradation as you do that. And you start to see that a little more clearly as it goes through it. The first image to the second, it's hard to tell probably from where you're sitting. From where I'm sitting, I see some noise, some artifacts and things in the blue sky. You get down to this one, this has been copied 200 times. Some of these light poles here are almost you know, broken. There's, the, the lines aren't even solid because it's been distorted so much. Up in the top right corner, it's been copied 500 times. Now, I know you can see some degradation there. The sky is starting to get really pixelated. And then it's copied 900 times in the middle on the right. And then finally 2,000 times where it's just noise. You can't even make out the image at all. And that is the presumed attack against the Bible. That is the constant challenge to the Word of God. That you're reading something that has been copied and copied, and the copies have been copied and copied and copied so many times in so many different languages that along the way the meaning is lost. And that's why critics and liars will tell you, well, how can you even know what this book was originally supposed to say? How can you even know what God originally meant? We can't know what God intended. I can't tell you how many times I hear that from people who conveniently don't want to do what it says. Well, we can't know what God ever intended. So we'll coincidentally do whatever we want. Funny how that works. So what do we say? What do we say to that? How do we answer that challenge? Have you ever played the telephone game or the whisper game or something like that? It, it helps great when you have kids because kids don't listen. I don't know if you know that. But you take a bunch of school kids and you put them in, a, along the wall, line them around the walls of the room. And you turn to the first kid and you whisper something to them, the teacher does. Some, some complex three-sentence idea is, is best. So you whisper it to them, and no one else can hear, and they have to whisper to the person, you know the game, and they whisper it and whisper it, and it goes all the way back around to the teacher, and it's completely different. Somehow Albuquerque got thrown in there. Just, it's, it's totally different from what was originally said, right? And the idea is, along the way, someone dropped a word, someone misunderstood, and so they, they thought they knew what it said, so they just threw out their own idea, and it just got mutated and transformed along the transmission, and that is the common criticism of the Bible. That is the presumption of the Bible critic to say what you're reading is the product of a global telephone game. And you can't possibly know what Paul originally meant because Paul's writing to the Romans was copied by the Laodiceans, who copied it to the Ephesians, who copied it to the Thessalonians, who copied it all the way around, and it's been circulated so much and translated so much. How can we possibly know that Romans in that verse tells that and not something totally different? Is there a way to rig, to cheat at the telephone game? Now, I love to cheat at games. My family refuses to play games with me because I always carry around $500 in Monopoly money just in case a game breaks out. <laughs> so I, I have it right, I won't show you because we might have a game and then you'd never know. Right? Um, so I'm always cheating at games. So I'm always looking for ways to cheat at games. It's a personal problem. It doesn't matter. Let's move ahead. Is there a way to cheat at the telephone game? Well, sure there is. You write it down, right? But you don't just write it down because people get sloppy. If you've ever seen my handwriting, it's super sloppy, so you might lose something there too. So here's what you do. The teacher would say to the student, here's the message. I'm going to write it down for you. Okay, now you take that message and you copy it exactly and then distribute it. But, but I'm not just going to trust you. I don't trust you. You're seven. So I'm going to stand over your shoulders and helicopter parent you the one time it's actually acceptable, and I'm going to make sure that you copy this exactly. In fact, I'll do what you want better. I'll take the piece of paper originally written, and I will divide the page into a grid format. And then I will take my message, and I will put one letter of the message in every square of the grid. And I will make sure you copy it, not word by word, not thought by thought, but letter by letter. So that I can take my copy, which is also broken in the grid, 
and your copy, and I can put them up to the light and see if they match. And if something is missing, throw it away and start over from page one. And we're going to do it that way, and then once you're done, you're going to take that same discipline, that same meticulous approach, and you're going to hand it to the person next to you. You keep your copy and make them copy it along the same grid pattern, along the same hold up to the light, among the same meticulous check and recheck and recheck, recheck. So we can make sure the same message goes around the room. That is exactly how the Bible came to be. That is what the scribes did. Now, I know by the time of Jesus, they did a lot of other stuff that wasn't relevant and they got condemned for it. But their basic job description of the scribe was to, are you ready for this? Inscribe. The job of the scribe was to copy, to take the penknife and to very delicately draw the grid pattern and to write letter by letter, character by character, every single word that they had before them. And they distributed it to the rabbis who locked it in the cupboard and they kept it in the synagogue and they read it to the people and so forth. That is the distribution method of the Word of God. In an era before select, copy, paste, where it could be done digitally, you had people very meticulously, letter by letter, copying to make sure they got the Word exactly right. Can we trust the Word of God? Listen to the Master Himself answer the question about whether or not you can trust the book that's in your lap. Read with me Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Luke 4, starting in verse 17. The context here is Jesus has gone into the synagogue to, to uh, teach. He's going to ask for the rabbi to deliver him the, the scroll, in this case of Isaiah. So the rabbi, as he would do back then, is he would unlock the cupboard that had the scroll. He'd find Isaiah. He'd deliver it to the student who wanted to read. And the student was free either to read and make application or just read on the rabbi makes some thought. Well, in this case, Jesus is the rabbi. He's going to read and make an application. And so that's where we are. Look at Luke 4, verse 17. There was delivered to Jesus the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, or the scroll, to be more precise, he found the place where it was written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, and preach deliverance to the captives, and recover the sight of the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, End quote. And then Jesus closed the book, and gave it to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, This day is that scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now here's what you just read. You just read the Master. Read from Isaiah. But what he was reading from was not the original manuscript of Isaiah. That had already long been lost by Jesus' day. 700 years of copying and copying. Oops. Of copying and copying and copying the copies. So he had the, the copies of the copies of the manuscript of Isaiah that he read from. And Matthew, or Luke, rather, the inspired writer who's recording the scene, says he took the scripture and read. Jesus then reads from the text, and Jesus in his own words says, this day is that scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, if anybody is qualified to tell you that Isaiah's copy of a copy of a copy of a translation, because that was the Greek translation of the Hebrew, the Septuagint, if anybody is qualified to tell you that that still counts as Isaiah, it's Jesus, because he was there in Isaiah chapter 6 and various other texts. So if anybody's going to be able to say, hey guys, listen, this isn't legit because this is a copy of a copy, it would have been Jesus. Instead, he says this is scripture and it's fulfilled. Which means over the course of seven centuries of copying and pasting, the text was still relevant, still applicable, and still inspired. Can you trust your Bible? Yes. That doesn't mean that every translation is good. There are many translations that are terrible. But it means that not every translation is bad that you can possibly trust, you could trust, 
your Bible. Question one, where did we get the Bible? From God. Question two, can you trust the Bible? Yes, it came from God. The Word did. Last question, then we're done. Do we need the Bible? This one is the, na the natural extension to the previous two questions, if they're not answered. You know, where did the Bible come from? Can I even trust it? And if I can't, then I don't need it. Well, it's true. If you can't trust it, or if you determine that it's not reliable, then no, you don't need it. Why would, I, why would you need a, ro a road map that is proven unreliable, right? To get where you're going, you want a map that knows where you are and where you're going. Well, can you trust the Bible? Yes, therefore, the answer here is understood. Do you need the Bible? Yes, you need the Bible. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what the Bible itself says. According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through what means has God provided for us all that pertains to life, spiritual life, and godliness, spiritual living? Through what process has God made it so that I can have everything I need to be godly and to live as He wants me to live? What's the process? Through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. In other words, when I know Jesus, I know how to live like Jesus. Okay, well, here's the problem with that. Has anybody seen Jesus lately? No, because He ascended 2,000 years ago. He's not walking around anymore. So we're not able to follow Him like the original disciples did and do as He did. So how am I supposed to know Jesus in order to live godly and righteously? How am I supposed to know Jesus? He has given for me Jesus through the Word of Jesus. Look, everybody, you have your Bibles open? Okay, now don't. Shut your Bibles. Everybody, shut your Bibles. Now look at me. Forget everything you've ever heard about God, Christ, or the Holy Spirit. Forget everything you've ever heard. Now somebody tell me something about God, Christ, or the Holy Spirit. Don't use your Bibles. You need the Word to know God. He has given for you His Word so that, according to Paul, when you read you may understand his knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Frank mentioned that a little bit. He'll get to it later, Ephesians 3, in his class this morning. The idea of the mystery of Christ, which specifically was the idea that the Jew and the Gentile could come together in one family, which is the body of Jesus Christ. An idea so foreign and so unthinkable to the Jews, God didn't dare tell them in direct words. He just called it this mystery. It's basically God's way of saying, it's going to be big, I'll let you know when you're ready for it. And then he just did it. That's the mystery. And Paul says, I'm writing to you so that you can understand what I, by inspiration, know about the mystery of that idea, the mystery of Christ, all in one spiritual body. So when I read Paul's writings, I can know Paul's mind. And we've already established that inspiration is when God puts himself in the mind of the reader. So that by reading Paul's writings, I can know the mind of God. Not all of it, of course, but all things pertain to life and godliness I can know when I read. And when I read, I can understand. Now, I know it's sometimes hard. I mean, we're studying Revelation on Wednesday nights. I know it's sometimes hard. But we can understand when we read. Finally, Revelation 1.3. Jesus, God, who put Himself into the Word, says that when you read it, pulling out of it, you pull out a blessing from God. He puts Himself in it, and He puts Himself out of it through a blessing. Blessed is he that reads, and they that hear the words written in the book. When you read, you don't just gain knowledge, you don't just understand, you are blessed. Do we need the Bible? Well, yeah. 
Where do we get the Bible? From God Himself. Can we trust the Bible? Well, it came from God Himself, so I would think so. Do we need the Bible? As much as we need God Himself. Because He poured Himself in that text. And through that text, it's been copied and translated by the providence of God, provided for us to know and to verify it is true what God says. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, it's not just my opinion. Either you're blood-bought or you're not. It's God's word on the matter. So either you're here this morning and you're a Christian or you're not. And if you're not, you need to be blood-bought. And you do that by reenacting his death, burial, and resurrection. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. You read that text and it tells you that through baptism, you put your sins to death in repentance and you rise to walk a new life in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, but you've stopped being faithful, perhaps seeds of doubt have been planted along the way, and you start to wonder, do I even know what's right? Can I even know the truth? Yes, open the book and read. You can know what God tells you to do. And if sin has crept into your life and it's pulled you away from God, you can read and you can read about the prodigal son who came home and was forgiven. And you can read the danger of those who do not return home as well. So if we can help you this morning, do what the Bible says. Come to Jesus, he'll save you. Right now as we stand and as we sing. And while I've got you on the phone, if you want to subscribe, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash Matthew-Martin 414. I've got uh, free audio files here and there that I'll release every now and then. But for the most part, I put everything behind a massive giant paywall where you have to pay upwards of, I think it's 99 cents a month. So if you can, if you can manage that a dollar a month, <clears throat> that's, you know, it's not easy, but if you want to whip out a buck, then you get hundreds of audio files of all of my sermons and classes and devotionals. So it's uh, anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W dash Martin 414 and hit subscribe for a buck and you get all my hundreds and hundreds of audio files. All right. Thank you.